0: If you'd like to earn CPE credit for listening to this episode, visit earmarkcpe.com, download the app, take a short quiz, and get your CPE certificate. Continuing education has never been so easy. And now, on to the episode. Welcome to Crypto with Accountants, powered by BitWave where we talk with technologists and crypto enthusiasts as we discuss current events in economy, politics, technology, and digital assets with thought leaders from around the world.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Crypto with Accountants. I'm your host, Pat White, alongside Trevor Ward. And we are just so incredibly excited to, A, be talking about cryptocurrencies and accounting this week, and, B, have a longtime friend of Bitwave and a longtime personal friend of mine, Libby Schultz, on the on the show with us today. Libby is a crypto-native, let's see here, crypto-native technologist with a hybrid background in executive finance and information technology. She coded her first script when she was 12 and followed crypto since its inception in two. 2009 she founded cypher counts in 2017 while finishing her master's in data science and algorithms at carnegie mellon she specializes in financial technologies analytics microtransactions and data architecture uh and she's just a really good human being libby thank you so much for taking time to, to chat with us today welcome to the show hi <laughs> so uh, <laughs> as we get into this libby uh how, what got you into crypto? You know, we'll, we'll go through all this like amazing background you have and all of your your great stuff you worked on. But like the first question I tend to like to ask people is what got them into crypto? What got you into crypto?
2: So back in its inception, I got this link because I was connected to some hacker communities. And one of my friends sent me this link and it just said Bitcoin. And I looked <laughs> at it and I'm like, Whoa, what's this? This is really interesting. And I couldn't stop thinking about it and as some of my friends reminded me uh you know way after the fact that i apparently showed this to everybody in 2010 like just walking around talking about it cuz i i really just wanted it to become a conversation piece because i was really angry at the financial system and the timing was spoke for itself the fact that it came out right after the great financial yeah. crash and i had a lot of rage so <laughs> it was just a great outlet and i didn't really have like a lot of people who were talking about it, who I knew deeply about it. And I was just like trying to spark conversations. And I'm like, Hey, let's buy a hundred dollars of Bitcoin. Let's just figure it out. Or let's mine. And we're just scared. We were going to download some screwy wallet and get hacked. Cause even then these are like professional, you know, security network experts and full stack coders. We're just all like, wow.
1: It's like one of the ways, cause uh, I got into crypto at a similar time. It's one of the, one of the ways I, uh, Talk myself down off the ledge from not having having bought like ten thousand dollars back then is it actually wasn't that easy to buy back then like it really was not that easy to buy crypto in two thousand nine two thousand ten like either you were you were doing something for someone on a on a message board you were meeting someone in a parking lot or you were you had to use uh 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 like some weird wire service to send money to Mount Gox in Japan. And like, that was, it was the shadiest thing in the entire world. And you were making phone calls and like, it, it was not easy to actually buy crypto back then.
2: Yeah. And we also were like, there, there were advertisements on eBay. And we're like, are we just going to get scammed?
1: Super scammed.
2: And we were poor enough <laughs> at the time that like, even any amount, losing any amount of money to us, I was like, would have, been, would have been like, oh no. You know?
0: Even just the link sounds super sketchy. Just like, I just picture like, a hyperlink that just says Bitcoin. <laughs> it's yes, like we'll Bitcoin. S- send us your
2: wallet address, and we'll send you some money, and maybe you'll get it. I'm like, well, great,
0: great. <laughs> um, so, what were you what were you doing professionally at that time?
2: So, at that time, I was uh, working. I see 2009, like it's a lifetime ago. <laughs> I was I was starting my career in uh, corporate finance, and I was working on um let's see i was working on in the gaming industry and uh working on a lot that's when i start working with microtransactions and analytics and marketing departments to really start understanding like i mean data science was like not a huge thing then but that's like when we were starting to have to script things to basically pass through and deal with auditors who were like okay well how do you audit like millions of transactions and when they're coming from foreign sources and all this. So I ended up working with that. It was a really fun job. Um, but, you know, like, uh, and then also like people were like, oh, well, you should get your CPA license. And I'm like, well, this wasn't part of the plan, but sure, why not? <laughs> so I started working on that too.
1: You did accounting undergrad?
2: No, no, I, I didn't. I actually started in electrical engineering computer science. Nice. Graduated with a degree in philosophy uh, and then... Uh, kept taking coding classes because I just loved it and never actually intended to really work in finance at all. But because my families ran businesses and I had this kind of background from a kid, watching them run businesses, watching them do all that stuff, uh, I just kind of got invitations into finance. And I was like, oh, this is interesting. This will be useful for anything I do. Yeah,
1: and that's, that's interesting. I mean, I just, if there's one constant in the crypto universe is it is a everyone followed a pretty fascinating background. Like, there's not a, there's there are obviously some people that are just like you know accounting in college and then that, but so many of the folks in this industry have you know technical backgrounds or philosophy. I have you know David Bird over at, e, at EY is a uh, great example where he has a uh, a philosophy PhD and then also and I think he I think was a theology major undergrad. Just really interesting interesting uh life paths that people follow to get in here um it's actually so before we I, I do want to go on a little tangent here because uh microtransactions and crypto are such an incredibly complementary set of uh well paradigm and then technology. Um, are you starting to see – are we finally starting to see that happening? Because I know for the last few years, I would not have said that there was a lot of microtransactions. But I – you know, we at Bitwave here are starting to see it. How do you think about, about that? Do you, Are you guys seeing it more in your – in the in the customers you work with and the clients you work with? Do you think there's some really cool stuff to be done around microtransactions in crypto?
2: Absolutely. And I do think that um, my background in microtransactions and dealing with like intangible game assets – was not quite one to one, but it was so close into what I would be dealing with later, and um, yeah, I do because like the before it was just like send from a wallet to a wallet, right? And uh, and uh, and then they became uh, let's take it into layer twos, and then they're kind of starting to get into these nice roll up technologies that are pretty reliable, and yeah, so I think we're being able to do more of that, and then also gas fees don't suck as much because they've been not just load in one single network. <laughs> so how, how do the It's economic, not prohibitively so
1: it's, it's actually really cool to talk to someone who's an expert in this. How do the economics of credit card based transactions work? Was it like cuz I know you mean essentially with a credit card based tra- microtransaction you you're not hitting the credit card for each microtransaction. You're you're sort of bulking batching up, you know, hey, we're going to pull $25 from your credit card and then we're going to slowly drain that out. Uh but did you you st- you're still paying a like because the $25 still has a transaction fee that is percentage based you're still kind of paying a percentage based transaction even on the microtransaction that's not hitting the the uh visa network right like can you talk about the hey maybe even just step back a little bit cuz this is a really interesting topic hey maybe talk describe what microtransactions are and then talk a little bit about the economics in the in the olden days uh before crypto
2: okay so Uh, I'm going to speak specifically on the microtransactions that are digital assets, because that's the thing I come from. Uh, One of the things that's nice about digital assets from the olden days is they don't really deal with sales tax. They kind of were in this special unicorn space where they don't have to do that. So you already are saving money right there. Uh, uh, Secondly, it's like an intangible buy. And then it became, where is this person located? So it often wasn't necessarily credit cards. It was often PayPal and what they were were small purchases typically not less than a dollar uh because once you start going below a dollar like they they charge a base fee sometimes it's like 30 i don't remember exactly the numbers at the time but it, let's pretend it was like 2% plus 30 cents so if you start going like too low you're not going to make any money and of course it drove the incentive for the gaming industry for kind of the casino model so the more if you get a, like a high purchase price that none of that even matters but um, basically, you know, you would get like uh, people spending all these, uh, possibly buying low, and selling high. They get pretty creative with in-game assets, where wow. they do it within their own markets as well. So they actually had their own tokenomics before it was tokenomics in these assets, uh, in gaming assets. But you usually wanted to try to keep the economy within your own system. So there are a couple of different ways you could have someone buy credits. So, like, there was a one-time purchase. That's one way to, like, reduce it. It's kind of similar to, like, what you see in the crypto-solving pieces where you want to, like, kind of bulk it and put it into a big bucket. Um, uh, But other times, you know, there might be circumstances where it's just easier for whether it's, like, tracking by a single person to, you know, know your customer sources and things and know when they're buying it. And so some of it was data management, and some of it was also, like, you're dealing with – the other thing you were dealing with that was complicated is – you were dealing with channeling partners. So you'd have someone like Congregate or something like that who would host your game somewhere else. So then they would have these cuts. And so then it would be like, oh, if you sell this much volume, you get this. If you sell this much volume, you get that. And so you're dealing with really tiny transactions where money is put into a bunch of different pools, which is actually what makes crypto exciting because it can program that into the money itself, which is, to me, extremely cool.
1: So how um, did let's let's uh this is super funny cuz I I had never really sat to think about this but like just for everyone listening if you're not super familiar with with the gaming world um, if you ever played Farmville, is a really good example. They were they were the kings of uh, of microtransactions, where basically like you, they had this freemium game where you could play it, and you could uh, uh, every day you could like water your crops. I don't even remember at this point, but you would you'd water your crops, and every time you water your crops, you could then you could then like harvest your crops, but you could only click the water button like once a day. And then what they would do is you would you could pay like five credits to click the water button again, or or whatever to buy a seed to buy whatever it was, and so you end up in this world where. Like, like you, you get this dopamine rush from hitting that button, and then they like kind of like trigger you to keep on paying to hit that button more, and then they put in these sort of artificial limits where you can kind of hit it. So, and one of the the really big models for this was you would send them money, and then they would give you credits, and then you had credits. Um, Libby, I'm actually super curious, uh, what was the accounting for that like? If you, I don't know if you ever actually did that or not, but I am I'm really curious. Did, was that essentially uh, you held a liability to your client? Uh, until they actually spent it and then you moved it from the liability. You basically booked it from the liability into the into your revenue account at that point?
2: Uh, no, they were actually happier to just permanently take someone's money and be like, that's mine and there's no refunds. So there wasn't a liability. It was just, it went straight to sale and it did matter because, like I said, there's these channeling partner agreements. It simplifies uh, uh, the situation and we didn't really have to deal with chargebacks because it was primarily done, like I said, through PayPal.
1: Oh, so if, so I, if you, I have hundred credits, you've already sold, you already, the, the act of me buying those hundred credits was the action that was selling. You didn't care if I ever used those. I could have sat on them forever and never use them. It didn't really matter.
2: Uh, no, actually. So what you were doing uh, with what we were doing in the gaming industry is you were actually buying like a literal asset. You were buying a hero skin. You were buying access to doing something. And it was uh, in the free to play market, just like you described. And I, some funny fact, uh, I want to say it's the number one, or maybe the second or to the top player in the game actually didn't spend a single dime and managed huh. to just... Because it was like you were paying for speeding up time, basically. Right. And they just played the game like 16 hours a day. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> and, it's a good way to do and it. And they
2: managed to keep up like in the top of the market. So <laughs> I thought that was hilarious. But yeah, I, but you could... The other thing you could do was you could purchase specific things. Like I think one of the... People paid sixteen, uh, was it sixteen thousand uh, dollars, to go and get this special access to go meet the CEO at the gaming headquarters in, and all this stuff. So it's like you could buy like these. They, they treated it like a, they were courting people, basically, and courting these deep relationships. And people were the game masters and things had like relationships to help them and special community stuff uh, for people. Was so the- it was as much as social mind.
1: It was the really interesting part of those games was the the tail for how money got spent was like the top like it was something like that I mean the top ten percent certainly but it was something like even the top two percent spent the vast majority of the money like hundreds of thousands of dollars I think there was like something about Farmville like the top spender on Farmville was spending a hundred thousand dollars a year or something absolutely insane and then like you very 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 quickly hit a tail where people would spend like a dollar a year kind of thing it was a really interesting economics model okay but there was anything particularly clever about the accounting like that that would influence how we think about a crypto accounting today uh in terms of either it it
2: did when dealing with the intangible part i would say because you you would talk about
1: that a little bit what what was intangible what were you actually tracking those intangible and what were you doing treatments on there
2: the entire thing was intangible
1: (laughs) everything was intangible
2: (laughs) 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 because it's like it's like there is no the argument so this was like to me it was like the first argument that crypto would have to face later as a digital asset as an intangible asset right Um, When it's not linked, let's say, okay, well, that's a different conversation, but when it's not linked to like NFTs and stuff, right? You're dealing with like, uh, basically like something you can never touch. And the gaming industry kind of fought that first. And so the argument, Mm. they had to basically take strong positions to be like, yes, this is an intangible object. We're not selling an off the shelf copy. This is something that someone gets downloaded or whatever kind of thing. And so there were like there was like a whole thing with that, and then it was dealing with uh, we were under gap in that case, and then the parent company was under IFRS, so we had to deal with like you know we didn't typically write it down because again it was a revenue mm. sale, but the but the treating of the intangible as an intangible asset let it be in a very specific category, which protected it from a lot of stuff, basically protected it from a lot of governance.
1: Would you uh, ever? Uh, would you ever i mean, i'm I'm trying to think back to to other analogies to crypto here. Did you actually track an inventory of intangible assets that you were selling, or did you create an intangible asset the moment you made a sale? Like,
2: yeah, so it didn't have like the technical minting process in the same way because they could uh, so it was basically at the point of sale that it came into existence, so to speak, yeah, uh, because it was just drawing from code, and it's like, in fact, this was a problem. Because you could, you ended up with, like, very similar to tokenomics, if you sold too many uh, upgrades to your heroes, you broke your game. You know, like, oh, I'm going to sell this special thing, but I want we want to make some more money to clear the quarters. Like, you just broke that server, now people are going to have to migrate to another server, because they're all OP, and the game content that's going to come out with it next is going to be, like... It's not coming out for three months. So you just, you're <laughs> going to have some really bored players and you don't want to lose them. <laughs> so, so this was a whole balance that, because marketing really wanted to make money and show they were making money. And then I would, so the accounting part there was uh, that, that is kind of similar to crypto in that you have to care about gas with DeFi transactions. Is it was like they'd be like, look, I made all this money and they would take it at spot revenue. And I'd be like, no, you didn't let's let's uh-huh. remove like thirty percent right here right off the top before we even count overhead, or let's remove 10 percent or twenty whatever the cost model was, right? It was like you can't count like that. you got right. it has to be profitable money, profitable money. And if you spent for the other thing that was into it is spending for ads, uh which I think is starting to reach the crypto space as well. It uh, paid it's, to yeah, get I mean, ads It's been get, a
1: part of crypto certainly for a few years now, yeah
2: yeah Mm -hmm. exactly (laughs) so you know (laughs) yeah we know
0: (laughs) it's fascinating hearing you talk about that and knowing what the story of uh vitalik and like crying himself to sleep because he lost his beloved warlock spell yeah warlock spell yeah yeah. and and kind of just thinking about like yeah this was gaming and in a way web 3 and crypto was born out of the gaming industry and sort of the first digital assets that some of the first that we've seen. And I yeah. feel like
2: the culture came with it too, actually. I feel like the the crypto industry has very... Um, before Wall Street got to it, <laughs> the crypto industry had very strong elements of the gaming culture, so... <laughs>
1: yeah but Wall Street's now bored with us, so it's okay. We can get back to our roots. it's all uh it's all good. That's so it- interesting, okay. so now fast forward then to today, libby, hey, why don't you tell us kind of what cipher counts does and what you do and I'd love to hear if you are doing with if you are working with any games or anyone that is doing kind of microtransactions uh and how the world has changed like what what it's like now versus what it was like back then is it is it easier? is it harder like is it better having instant settlement? I don't know like i'm I'm super curious
2: um so I I don't think of exchanges as instant, centralized uh, exchanges as instant settlement. (laughs) So we still have some of those old headaches Um, just because, uh, yeah, we know we've been in some deep dives about that before. (laughs) But like, uh, I would say one thing I really like about it is that the blockchain makes it uh, kind of, there's these truths and you can double check your truths a little bit better. Like you don't, it's exposed information, so to speak. And you can also prove to people, you know, that they got what you said they got. You're like, oh, no, yeah, I see your wallet; it's there. You know, and so it does things like that, and it speeds up those kinds of things. It has an irrevocable. I can't speak. Irrevocable. Is it irrevocable? Co- irre- be- irrevocable. Oh my god! I can't irrevocable. Say that. <laughs> <laughs> you gonna... just
0: chose the hardest <laughs> words. It, it? It, I know. You
2: can't take it back. So let's just say it has a finality to it. <laughs> Um, to To the blockchain transactions, that I think is refreshing because when you deal with uh, credit cards, for example, you often have to have a rolling uh, turnover amount that they request you request slash require you to hold back. So, so like you can, well, your money is yours. Like there's no unless you decide because of the kindness of your heart or because they're very angry at you. You know, you basically are are settled. So I think that's good. Um, I see uh, crypto rediscovering all of – it went through a process. I think it's getting past this now. But like with things like uh, accounting softwares like Bitway really help a lot with this. But um, it did rediscover all the problems that finance had. I feel like it re-put it back did in the you, Did you use purely – were
1: you purely on spreadsheets back in the day? Was there any specialized software to help? Were there Was there subledger software for microtransactions or you were purely on spreadsheets?
2: Um, I was dealing with like multiple different um yeah, so a lot of CSV files, but I was dealing yeah. with, because it was dealing with multiple systems that weren't talking to each other well. So I would usually transform a system and then have a lingu- I created a linguistics filter so it would map back into the US system. Uh with through which what I called the Great Firewall of China because sometimes they would only go at 50k per second. Like <laughs> <laughs> goes faster to mail like a USB stick than it was to actually download something. Wow. So, 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 yeah. So sometimes we had to deal with that. Um, now the other, I do the other feel big, like, uh,
1: yeah. Well, I say the other big difference would be of course now with crypto, you know, there is a difference which is that if, you, if you're gonna allow people to withdraw tokens, that is drastically different than the old Farmville model of like, I'm gonna buy five coins. Those are locked in this system and what we just talked about from the accounting perspective which is that i recognize the revenue the minute i sell those coins now it's a little bit different because you're basically acting as a if if you're going to let them withdraw those tokens you're sort of acting as an exchange and then you owe a liability until they actually officially transfer those tokens to your to your ownership through some sort of uh um uh you know buy action or spend action whatever it is so that's there is like a there is a little bit of a of more complexity in the crypto world as we find with accounting here right
2: yeah, there's 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 the tokens that like I think I think that this is something I've thought a lot about and and one of the things is that like tokens um, do allow you to go from place to place, but let's let's pretend that like let's just use Steam as an example. Let's pretend there was a token you could take to leave Steam and be like, yeah, I got all my Steam bucks and I can go spend them somewhere else. The problem is if you don't actually have another platform or place to redeem it, or let's say your assets came from that game and they rugged the game, they still rugged the asset that connects and adds value to it. So um, the network is as as sophisticated as that. But I do agree with you that there's more complicated treatments, especially where you can farm rewards and things like that and you get something back. Like it was more of like a, a single transfer situation. A lot of people made their money on eBay literally selling their hero characters and things. And that obviously is a straightforward transaction. Um, or even within the marketplace, it's like it moves and it goes. Um, would you – if, yeah.
1: if you rewarded someone – did you guys have a token? Or we get a hypothecate on this. But like if you rewarded someone with additional tokens, would you, would you write that down? Would that be a discount or would you just ignore that from an accounting perspective? Uh, in the old microtransactions world. Oh, you mean if new... you gave
2: if you like gifted someone with a skin?
1: Yeah, if you gifted someone a bunch of tokens, like did that have an accounting impact back in the day? Because obviously now no, crypto it so, certainly does So the thing
2: is, it's it's something that you created out of thin air the minute you did it. Hmm. So one thing with tokens is that you mint a quantity this is a difference. So like you mint a quantity and then you're pulling from that bucket of assets. Whereas this one, it's like, oh, that person's angry, we'll give them a blue hero skin that does negative. Right. <laughs> you know? it just oh, doesn't Right. And just now. a clip. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so we didn't necessarily account for that, although we did track the giveaways because it like I said, depending on what you're giving away, it could dilute the market. And that was more from like a game economic standpoint and preserving the integrity of the game.
1: So uh, so uh-huh. tell us briefly just tell us about cipher counts what do you guys do? And then I'd be, I'd be fascinated to hear about some of your clients that are doing this today and like what, how, how it's all working, like what some of the complexities are, all that kind of stuff.
2: Okay, so yeah, so Cipher Counts got its name a couple years ago. For a while, we didn't have a name. <laughs> but what we, we <laughs> that was did my is... favorite
0: was was libs <laughs> libs whatever that company unnamed company <laughs> yeah,
2: the library. yeah
0: and she like fi- you finally just ha- got a website right everything was pretty much word of mouth
2: yeah I point. think it was related to EDOS I was like oh my gosh if we arrived at this without a name that's kind of silly so. <laughs> a website and we spun up a name because we the thing is it was we were so inundated with business it's just like it doesn't matter what our name is okay who cares
0: yeah <laughs> we didn't have yeah. time to think all the accountants are listening to this salivating like man i wish i had <laughs> so many clients that I, I didn't have time to create a name or a website <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah so so basically you know uh, we do a right we hired a pretty technical based team, so hired accountants who are like as nerdy as possible in like the technical sense. So one of the things we require them to do is study and become fluent in DeFi and crypto and how to use wallets and all the security stuff. Um, and to get down into the weeds a bit more than like traditional accounting does um, and then and that comes partially from my hybrid background, where I believe that every accountant can benefit from having a background in tech and actually literally speed up their job. Um, just be, being able to script just that, that by itself, you know, if you're dealing with large transactions. Um, but, yeah, we work on a lot of really great projects. Um, uh, I know that one of the one of our baby projects we work from from the beginning is not such a baby now. Yeah, we worked with uh, Collabland and we recently helped them with their token launch that they did uh, during ETH Denver. And then they're about to launch a marketplace. And they're complicated because they basically uh, host all of these communities. And they're basically a token-gated uh, technology that allows you to do um, those kind of uh, tokenomics within it. And at one point they had tipping and things like that. So they were experimenting with a lot and that's pretty fun. Um
1: tipping is one of the big use cases for microtransactions with crypto. Like you see that yeah. in Reddit. A lot of the big Reddit sub- the subreddits have uh tipping bots for tipping uh uh like tipping posts and things like that. We still haven't really seen that. I mean, honestly, I think it's it's the future of a lot of this stuff. I mean, as social media goes through a a what I think can only be called an incredibly uh tumultuous time right now uh reddit had a huge outage today for instance uh twitter is weird right now is the only way to really describe it <laughs> um you know it keeps going back to like one of the great monetization mechanisms is going to be this like real direct to you know direct point to point like hey i'm going to tip you cuz i love your content and it's been weird that we haven't really seen any of the major platforms actually do that like it's weird that it's always bots or like other sorts of mechanisms as opposed to reddit creating a point to point tipping mechanism for content producers which i think is really fascinating it's it's weird that they haven't done that and that you end up with clubland having to build those rails around other systems essentially
2: Yeah. And they're trying to do chain on chain, -chain, multi-chain, multi-network things. And ultimately, you know, you end up having to deal with some sort of L2. It's like Mm -hmm. impossible to do with it without it. Because one of the challenges is that you end up, you know, back when we're like having like this crypto bull market and like ETH transactions get really crazy expensive. And they're like, I want to do it on mainnet. I want to do this NFT drop. And I'm like, and then they're like, they clap. I was like, oh, that's going to cost you like $30,000. (laughs) <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. just to do the drop. Just just yeah. the gas. So um it can be it's it's one of those things that is not trivial at all. But then also like, you know, um and, and then but then you also don't you you don't want to get involved to the point where you have to manage entire all of their subsets of communities. So there's like at what distance do you go operate at? Um so they tend to focus only on their their ledgers and things like yeah. that. Um it, because, it, it, like, and because say- it is a nightmare.
1: Yeah. And I'll say for everyone who's listening, one of the cool things that collab land does is that is very, very future looking and that everyone should be interested in and thinking about is uh, it's NFT gated communities. So like, this is the idea that we've talked about a lot. If you're if you're not deep in crypto, you might not think about this too much. But this is the idea that uh, Taylor Swift moves to doing all of her to- her ticket issuance for her concerts to an NFT. So when I buy a, t- a T-Sweezy uh, uh, concert ticket, I get an NFT dropped into my wallet. I use that NFT and my private key to basically get access to the concert. But then after or even before the concert, I use that NFT uh, to actually get access to Discord. Discord channels to websites to any sort of different places where she can directly engage with me. And I talked about Taylor Swift, but this goes for gaming companies. Like you can imagine this happening with Diablo. You could have imagine this happening with all, you know, any form of like, you know, you're an intern in a new company and how it goes there. So there's this really powerful element of NFTs as identity. And the second you have an NFT as an identity, you need to have something that actually asserts identity to allow you into a community or into a concert or whatever it is. Right. Libby, did I do a good job explaining that?
2: You did a really good job of that. And I wanted to just go a little deeper with the NFT being your identity or your wallet being your identity even more specifically because you can measure how long someone's had something, when they had it. You can reward past participants. You can create a version, and this is something that NFTs are dealing with, is non-transference, which is something that's typically really important to have that option in the ticketing industry. So, uh, you know, you don't always want to be able to just – you don't want to necessarily have it be that someone who wasn't helping at the market buy it, buy yeah. from the market, and then just like, "Oh, yeah, I spent like ten grand at the last minute, and I'm gonna get this moon drop." Mm-hmm. but you do want to be able to send tokens to all the people who do this, so they sometimes they help you have multi tiered claiming mechanisms, but it also because it's programmable, you know uh you can retroactively create rewards or say if you have like at least four of our NFTs in the system, you qualify for this other thing and it allows yeah. you to have a, a more sophisticated relationship, which is very And cool.
1: the the other thing which you alluded to but it's worth it's worth calling out because it's such a it's such a different it's such a different paradigm for this stuff would be um the ability to actually also reward because all this is public uh, for the most part, all of these NFTs are public, uh, you also could start to do these sort of like advertising campaigns to to other people that are in the space. So whether that be a game, like if I see someone's playing a particular game because their wallet is accumulating tokens and and assets from that game, I can drop them some free... If I'm a competing game, I can drop them some free credits on my game to come play my game if I can see they're a power user. Or same thing, if you see someone is a, is a major T-Sweezy uh, fan... I don't, know, I don't know who she competes with, but let's say like some uh, up-and-coming star group out of K-pop, like like a K-pop group could suddenly drop a bunch of tokens in this person for them to join their Discord and listen to their albums. You could send links to all that. So you actually start to create this really compelling because it's anonymized, or it's at least pseudo-anonymous. You don't really know who this person is, but you know that they're willing to pay to engage with Taylor Swift. So you almost like get, you get the benefits of advertising and like the sort of like, you know, the cross-advertising kind of stuff without a lot of the down downsides of having your data mind all to all to uh to hell there so
0: there's mm-hmm. a there's a really fun new marketing model we're seeing pop up here too i think on the user side too i mean we talk a lot about privacy and and you mentioned the anonymity aspect of this is that it totally presents a new paradigm of like right now we're so used to sign in with email we've we've seen more like sso stuff emerge sign in with google but like None of those are really privacy preserving. Whereas, if you just have an NFT connected to a wallet address, I wouldn't say it's completely private, um, but it it you don't have to type in your address, your email address, your name. It's just do you have the NFT or not? Yep. I one mean, thing I like,
2: and I love that because uh, one of the things is you we have such a a tiered allowance of privilege within our financial system. It does to some degree democratize things. As long as you have access to a computer and a wallet, you can you can qualify to participate in something.
1: Oh yeah, and it kind of
2: gives people a fresh start in a way, potentially.
1: And you know that data mining algorithms use you know they use your first name, last name to do economic, socioeconomic mapping and stuff like that. I mean, all everything that that uses this mining uh, pulls from every single possible possible variable they can and that just gets into it more is like who cares if what your la your, your name is if you're a big taylor swift fan you should be able to re- you know be rewarded for that yeah Taylor Swift, the backbone of this episode's uh in the important parts of this episode.
0: <laughs> we ended up talking about her a lot. Just yeah. as an example. But she has a new album
1: coming out, right? As in uh, I don't really follow her all that closely, but uh I mean she's also like she's I mean she's like this amazing force. And I know she's it's she she comes up a lot in my mind for this stuff because she uh she got so dinged by Spotify and then her record label. Like in the two different uh-huh. situations, she had absolutely terrible experiences with the status quo of music production, especially when you hit like superstardom at a, at a young age where uh-huh. you really get kind of taken advantage of by a lot of people around you uh, that she just is the perfect person to like actually
0: really embrace web three and totally. all of this kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think I read something that Rihanna recently dropped one of her albums as an NFT. Oh, did you? Going back to the point of like, really like the easiest way to explain what NFTs are in my mind is like It's just programmable digital assets, whether it's a ticket, whether it's an album or a single song. And so now it's like if you go and buy Rihanna's album and you have the NFT, there's royalties programmed in. So depending on you know how many listens she get, rather than all of that going to Spotify and some of it going to Rihanna, the record label, the actual listeners, the audience, they can capture some of the... The incentives there, which I and think is gets, fascinating.
1: Well, it's, it's awesome because it gets back to Libby's point about democratization, because I think uh, it was I think it was Paul McCartney or Michael Jackson. Someone did that a few years ago. Oh, no, it was a uh, Aerosmith. One of the big guys out there did that a few years ago where they basically, uh-huh. they packaged up their royalties and they sold them, but you had to be an accredited investor. You had to, they, they did this like really weird uh-huh. limited offering. Like it was really hard to get access to it. Uh, but it was a great way for them to basically say, it was a way for them to immediately monetize future earnings uh, in sort of a discount kind of model. And so now you can actually do that yourself through NFTs very easily. And if Rihanna did it, that's, that's spectacular um you have a whole i there's a whole bunch of other stuff before we finish off here there's a whole bunch of other stuff we wanted to chat with you about um do you uh, uh i don't know trevor you want to take it away on some of these
0: yeah so you talked a little bit about collab land what are some of the other projects that you've worked with uh and maybe in in answering that question the second part of it is like what are some of the big challenges you see from your perspective of doing crypto accounting or accounting for digital assets
2: oh okay i'll I'll bring one up that gave pat and i a lot of headaches
0: <laughs> yeah
2: well uh, reflexer was a pain in the butt uh and so um they just uh basically they went all the way to burning the contracts so they started with an organization yeah. and everything but, and what uh, is reflexer
0: for what, so yeah so in know. simple
2: terms reflexer is an algorithmic uh uh, a token that's intended to be a type of stable coin. And um, basically, what, what ends up happening is when you, it's very similar to MakerDAO, where you have like a vault and it's minted when you lend. Um, but then what happens is that uh, the, because the token itself is, it's, imagine if die fluctuated when you mm-hmm. made a vault. Which and DAI you know, is and a you stable got, and you're coin. So you, are, you have basically, and, you, and then you loan against ETH. Uh, mm-hmm. So you have two unstable assets that you're dealing with, and that was uh, getting that with Pat was a whole journey. <laughs>
0: uh-huh.
2: But you know, because getting it, be like, okay, well, this isn't stable and it changes all the time, and then the whole point of it is for people to arbitrage it. Yeah. So it's uh, it is you're definitely making, mo- and then finding out, okay, how much money did we make from that if we arbed uh, uh, rye, which is their basically their version of die.
0: Yeah. I'm simplifying so zooming... a lot,
2: but that's like the general. Just a bit.
0: Yeah. So zooming out, if we were to give that like a blanket term, would you say like valuation is one of the number one challenges that you come against?
2: I would say, yeah, doing valuation. And then also like uh, when when are you capturing cost uh, mm-hmm. of something like when are you valuation and disposition? So disposition mm. is like when you dispose of an asset uh, or basically acknowledge that, oh, that turned into from, we're no longer holding that. We sold that or we bought that or or, or whatever. It's it's changed hands at some point. And, and when you do mm-hmm. that, that moves where it goes in the accounting component. Yeah.
0: So give us some examples of that disposition component. Like what are some of the transactions just for those?
2: At the most simple level, let's say uh, you did some work with me and I sent you like Hundred dollars worth of ETH, and I sent the minute I sent that to you, that's a disposition from my ETH wallet to uh-huh. you. And so basically, we would recognize, oh, we don't have that one hundred dollars worth of ETH, and now you do. It's it's gone, it's out, and uh-huh. we spent that on something. It would go to an expense at the simplest level. The other part that happens along with this, though, with the disposition, at or is that effectively, let's say we sent you ETH, is we sold ETH. Effectively at that price, and this is something that is basically um in a, in a large enterprise system with lots of transactions, especially things like refluxer that I mentioned. It's it's really hard to deal with um the FIFO or whatever weighted what weighted average spec ID, whatever you want to do. Tracking that in and out, it's like it gets really complicated when you start getting into the DeFi aspects, when you start getting into the pricing oracles. Mm -hmm. Um, when you start getting into, um, even like when you have to true it up to a contract and prove that, you know, and then, but then it goes through Coinbase and, and you get, have to get 1099 K for a different value because it passed through something else. You have to be really aware that, okay, you just hit a gate entry point for like a regulatory Uh entity that's reporting to the IRS. So what does that actually mean for that company? And it's under this name, But if you did it on behalf of another, let's say you're a multi-organization and you did it under your sub or whatever, you have to really care where you're receiving it.
0: Uh Whereas
2: in crypto wallets, it's very easy to be like, oh, I'm just sending it to this other wallet. So it's very easy to think, fine, 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 fine. Coinbase is also another crypto wallet address. Bam, you hit that entry point and you just hit, like, you just got like 1099. Yeah. Automatically.
0: Yeah. So. Pat, I know you like to talk about this, that one of the biggest challenges with accounting for digital assets is basically any time you move a digital asset unless it's like to your own wallet um there's not only an accounting event there's a tax event yep. and you might even argue a third like regulatory event depending on the, like, at this point now we have different...
1: regulatory events as well yeah so it's yeah. nothing nothing so it's in like the crypto world is easy <laughs>
0: Yeah, it's like, there's three things you need to be thinking about with every single transaction. And then it's like, you start talking about microtransactions. And it's like, you're looking at NFT, we work with NFT marketplaces. And it's like, you've got, you know, 50 million transactions in a year. It's just absolutely insane.
1: Or we work with a few blockchains too, that like they get, you know, a hundredth of a penny or a thousandth of a penny every time a block is mined. And that's the ultimate of of microtransactions is they're doing, you know, 3 billion transactions a year, each are one one hundredth of a penny or a thousandth of a penny. It's, it adds up, but boy, is that tricky when each of those is accountable taxable and potentially a compliance issue because if they're you know in a, some situations depending on how the blockchain set up there might be a component of it that's going to a producer and in the US we might find that that falls under 1099 rules here in the not too distant
0: future so uh it's getting kind of nasty out there yeah it definitely is um pat you hit on something that i think is definitely worth touching on we don't need to go in super deep or anything but uh just last week the SEC gave a one two punch uh and filed lawsuits against Binance and Coinbase uh and it's i mean crypto twitter is just ablaze with <laughs> this news doesn't uh, take much to you get your... crypto twitter ablaze yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah um but tell us your just kind of general thoughts on the issue while acknowledging you're not a lawyer or giving financial or legal advice what are some of your general thoughts on these lawsuits me or pat <laughs> libby that's a quite libby that's a question yeah yeah okay, yeah. Yeah, yeah.
2: okay. Yeah, i wasn't sure <laughs> sorry uh so basically uh there's a lot of saber rattling going on you know just not speaking about Party or partisan anything, just speaking about financial from a financial regulatory point of view, you know the person Gary Gensler, just to go back up into history, you know allowed FTX to do whatever the heck it wanted, and then all of a sudden, last winter when things are in flames, he's suddenly like just going uh after you know. Every single thing he can, and literally backtracking on things he's been recorded for saying the opposite, like for example, seventy-five percent of uh, crypto out there is not a security. And I I stay focused on him, I I, in the sense that like we have to remember the source is Mm. that, and we also have to. And the other thing I feel a little positive about is that the judge for Coinbase is at least reasonable, seems to be reasonable and understanding towards Coinbase's thing is like, hey, you don't even have clarity. Uh, Gary Gensler and SEC give clarity. I actually think they're undermining, you know, short term, they're going to scare a lot of people and maybe he'll avoid. It's like the ultimate gaslighting, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> and then long term, he's discrediting the SEC from the yeah. neutral party. And so what might end up happening is this SEC loses power or gets dismantled a little bit because it's getting to the point where Congress people are actually taking a stance and saying, and actually siding with Coinbase. I don't really know how to say anything about Binance just because they're a different jurisdiction and they do Mm -hmm. things, but specifically with Coinbase who went under, um, you know, did all the things and like really closely and did like a very good faith effort to do all these things, Um, you know, and uh, they're going to have, you know, SEC basically has an apple bottle here in the sense that like I, all eyes are watching. And, you know, this is also a question of is the U.S. going to participate in crypto or isn't it? Like, or are we just are... going
1: to completely step away from yeah. it?
2: Yeah. And I really hope we don't because we're going to walk away from one of the biggest earning opportunities where we could be the leaders. We already have the Federal Reserve. So we it's just one step away. They could just hop into this and they don't necessarily have to tyrannically create a CBDC to do it. Yeah. Yeah, I saw a
0: story today that Hong Kong uh, pitched Coinbase on – like said, hey, come over here. We've got regulatory clarity. Um, Hard to imagine
1: uh, that – God, it's hard to imagine an industry where China is a better uh, steward than (laughs) uh, the U.S. would be, but it's – Certainly, I mean it is. It, it's at the end of the day, like the the way the SEC is doing this sort of regulatory action, like enforcement, like regulation through enforcement, is is just so blatantly unfair across the board uh-huh. and so nonsensical. I mean, I think you know it's one of those, the things that I've been talking about recently around this is like, you know, there are certain laws that you break that it doesn't matter if you know the law or not. Like you murder someone, you murder uh-huh. someone, you go to jail. That's that's sort of a separate issue. You know, financial services laws are not usually like that. They really are this thing where like there's a lot of expectation on people to be doing as much the right thing as they possibly can there are guidelines there are there are some hard laws here and there but but often intent matters quite a bit in in financial services regulation and and how much of an effort you're putting towards this goes through it goes for tax it goes for gap like gap accounting like all these things are sort of the same which is like if you're making a good faith effort and applying the regulatory framework the best you can You generally will not get into deep legal trouble if you are making a good effort, Uh and that's where what's really broken down with the SEC is like, you know, Coinbase was making a good legal effort. There's and and they have kind of the receipts. You know, they showed up. They had Uh so many different meetings with the SEC. They have a they have a uh, a latent uh, exchange broker license that they weren't able to register because they don't trade stocks, and so they weren't able to actually register under that. But like they did all this stuff in the auspices of of correctness. And the SEC is just like one day is like, no, nah, we didn't like any of that. Like you're now in trouble. And that's, that's not exactly the way that most financial services laws and regulation, yeah. and regulations and taxes all work. That really is a, a very contrary methodology. Yeah.
2: And I would, I would also add that one of the things is they keep claiming we're doing this to protect the people, to protect the people. And it's like, well, well why don't you approve an ETF? Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> yeah. why don't you approve the instruments that allow people to actually be protected and regulated it's like you literally blocked that and then you also made claims like oh oh no individuals or retailers allowed to participate in this market yeah Uh, it's only going to be like hedge funds and like large-scale investors and i'm like that's not protecting either that's actually forcing the oligarchy's hand even more so why did you why didn't you ask
1: svb what their financials were before the entire thing imploded why (laughs) didn't you actually ask them to do mark to market (laughs) on their assets like there's so many great examples of like where this it's it's very much like theater theater regulation in some ways I guess yeah
0: I yeah. I think you almost can't group it's unfortunate for Coinbase that the like Binance happened the day before their lawsuit because in my mind they're two entirely different cases where uh, Binance's case references wash trading and self dealing like calls out uh, CZ the CEO for some shady practices whereas coinbase it really just comes down to like what is a security and it's unfortunate that uh we now have to go to through the courts to decide that um or (laughs) i think the other route to your point libby is that legislation is currently in the works um so either way i think the positive is that we will get some kind of clarity even if it's not what the industry is hoping for, at least we'll know like here, yeah. here, these assets are securities. These assets are commodities. Um, and here are some frameworks you can apply.
1: There's gotta be some really interesting stuff. There's like gotta be some really weird knock on effects of this, which is to say that like, uh, you know, because the, the argument that you see about Solana comes down a lot to, it comes down a lot to communication from the foundation or the founders. Uh, before it was available, right? So the, the, a lot of the argument around security comes down to was, was there a advertisement of expectation of returns based on this? Uh, which gets like when you when you look at the world through that lens, it's really an interesting world we live in. Like if you think back to like the old days when you have Sky Mall on an airplane, and you'd have like those coins, those like commemorative <laughs> coins that they would sell. They're like bound to go up in value. Like now, all these commemorative coins are securities. You know, uh, really nice action figures. They're designed to appreciate. Like, are those all securities? You know, there's this really interesting thing that like anything that that anyone. Uh, hinted might go up in value as the creator of Mm -hmm. it, which is like pretty much everything that we have in capitalism. Like, you know, outside of, I mean, even cars, like, you know, a lot of people buy cars and they're like, ah, these cars, this car is going to appreciate, like suddenly cars are all securities. I mean, it's, it's, it's obviously nonsensical and that doesn't Uh there. It's, it's a silly argument to even be made, but, but that's the argument the SEC is essentially making is that if you ever said this is going to go up in value, boom, you have a security right there.
0: Yeah. It is really interesting, and I think uh, on that on that note, there's just a lot of complexities with digital assets, right? We talked about there's a taxable event, there's an accounting event, a regulatory event. Um, it's constantly changing. there's a lot of technical aspects to this. I mean, both of you, Pat and Libby, like you have computer science backgrounds, right. Um, what are some practical tips? for accountants looking to get into web3 with Libby.
2: So, um, let's see. First of all, educate yourself at the source whenever possible, like listen and learn. But, you know, there's a lot of, you know, just basic stuff like, you know, it's this is something a developer would automatically do when they're working with an API or something, but this is something that everybody who, who can take a little bit of time to do. Uh, you know, read the source material for the pro the DeFi protocol you're using. Just even Uniswap, you know, just something very simple. Uh, read read around. Have lots of conversations. This is a collaborative journey um, where there's an intrinsic voting thing that happens with with no with, with lack of guidance. You know, it, it is like everyone making their best guess. And so, the more you educate yourself on what's possible, and the more you Do both structured learning and also just organically keeping your ears open. Um, That's really helpful. Uh, You know, when in doubt in some really strange legal place, talk to a lawyer. It's worth worth the time if you're going to like, instead of jumping into something soon, because a lot of the regulatory stuff comes from, as you said, did you start the correct way from the beginning? And if you had like that wrong thing for the first 2%, and then you corrected it, you could get nailed by the SEC. So it's just just in this very conservative regulatory environment. And like, and educate yourself a little bit about technology because the hacking, the phishing, this, the security stuff is so important. And also, um, you can kind of look back if you're like an accountant. You can look back to what are controls like related to auditing and things. Those are similar things that actually – Really come into play and are really helpful and applicable. So, looking at how you can apply your current knowledge to build on what we're doing with these new systems is also helpful. You don't have to necessarily start from zero. You can start from like a scientific method style, have a hypothesis or like an application and work with that and then go from there. Um, And, like I said, there's a lot of things. uh, Bitwave University is actually yeah. good. Good out, chance for us know. to
1: talk about uh, a little thing we've got coming out, Trevor. Why don't you tell tell everyone about Bitwave? You?
0: <laughs> yeah, I mean, if you're going to read it up, up, well Libby. done, Libby. <laughs> uh, yeah, so we are launching Bitwave uh, University this week. I mean, depending on when you're hearing this, but uh, yeah, this week we're launching it. That'd be the week of educate. June 12th. Yeah, week of June 12th. Uh it's a platform to educate accounting and finance professionals uh that are either curious about digital assets or are deep in this industry. And uh Libby, you and your team at Cypher Counts put together some really solid courses. Honestly, I think they're probably the first of their kind because there's some general like crypto one oh one stuff, but getting into some of the deeper uh like how do you account for mining and staking revenue? Tell us a little bit more, Libby, because this was like, obviously, we, we've we been talking about education, but what prompted you to create these courses? And maybe you can speak a little bit more to the content you guys put together.
2: Some of this came from, was motivated by accounting nightmares of everyone creating their own standards and <laughs> designs. <laughs> And it's like the sooner we can educate the client or the professionals, uh, the, the better we have, better positions we have with regulatory people, but also the better, the, the, the quality of work you can do as accountants and things like that. So some of it is just like getting that. And the other thing is I come from the fundamental belief that knowledge should be shared. And I saw that, you know, a lot of the conversation around it was really surface level of okay this is what you do but it's not getting into the philosophy and if you read good accounting books they get into the case studies they get into like the whys and hows and um you know i just wanted to go like a layer deeper and again we come from the technical background so i was adding uh, technical information for people to understand it too because if you understand the way the technology works then you can understand like how to work together because oftentimes we work with engineers and with our clients uh, and uh, try to try to design something that works both for the accounting and for the engineering side, and you can save companies a lot of money that way, and also just build a better, ro- more robust uh, crypto system. Yeah. So yeah, we wanted to like we we're like, well, we know all this stuff, and it's like in our heads. Yeah. <laughs> we should share it. Yeah. And you know.
0: Guys, seriously, go check this out. Uh, we'll drop a link in the show notes below, but uh, Libby's courses are absolutely amazing. Uh, like I said, she gets into some of the deep technical issues, but in a way that's really pretty easy to understand, even if you're just getting started on the digital. I think asset it's, journey. it's uh
1: university.bitwave.io yep. is where you can get it. So that's we'll drop a link in there also, but it's easy. University.bitwave.io uh in there. Well, we're we're coming up on time here. Libby, uh, I wanna do one final thing uh before we go, which is I know you've been writing a book. Uh, and I wanted to ask you about a how it's going, and b what got you writing it, and talk a little about it because it's it obviously relates back to to crypto here. Well, once you tell people what it is, they'll be obvious. <laughs>
2: <laughs> so yeah, so the the title of the book is called Win Condition, um, inspired by watching our you know capitalist world, zero sum games, and things like that. Uh, but, you know, uh, I was speaking to a friend and she's like, you should write about crypto. And I'm like, oh, I work in crypto. And she's like, no, you should write. I'm like, but I want to write a sci-fi story. She's like, you can write about crypto. And I'm like, okay. okay. <laughs> <laughs> and then so I'm like, what is crypto going to be like if we take it s- several generations forward? What kind of world do we live in? And I wanted to also show people something that you don't really see in technical videos, which was the culture and the anecdotal lessons. So I did it through kind of a fairy tale. And so it's it's going into where is this going long term? What are the what's going to happen with the tokenomics multiple generations from now? And it kind of deals with all of those components and also has a little bit of fun stuff and callbacks and Easter eggs in there, because, of course, (laughs) you know, I'm coming from gaming and it also has uh, it's centered around a game as well that I I wished existed. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so. Yeah. Uh, Libby, is is it out yet or is it coming out soon?
2: So it's um, – I'm thinking that I'm, – I'm trying to decide between dropping it uh, the end of this year or early next year. But basically I am handing – literally in about three weeks I'm handling the final copy to the editor for proofreading and then it's done. And then the question is, you know, am I doing an audio book, which I probably will be, and do I put them at the same time or first? And then – it might have an NFT that goes with it as well because it's, it's crypto. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Why not? Do you, is there a place people
1: can go to follow, learn more, anything like that?
2: Um, not yet, but I will be putting uh, information on my site, lib.lib. I mean, li, lib.life. Um, and I am probably going to make a formal site as well. And I will direct them from that website. But lib.life was what my old graduate thing was that my company name sort of informally was for a long time before it became cypher counts. So that's always been a hub for all of my information. And so I'll make sure I put information there for that. uh, So it's lib.life.
0: Awesome. Amazing. And then if you are a crypto project or dealing with digital assets in any way and need a trusted advisor, um, cyphercounts.io is Libby's website. They're amazing. Uh, Feel free. They have a contact form there on their website. So definitely uh, go check that out. Yeah. Cybercounts.io. Yeah.
2: And we do everything from accounting to product consulting. And uh, we do some technical consulting as well. So and fractional CFO. We kind of do a lot of different things there because we just love every part of it.
1: Well, Libby, thank you so much for Good being stuff. on with us. This was this was really a pleasure. It's always a joy talking to you. Good pontificating on all things from SEC to sci-fi world. So, thank you so much for for being on with us. And thank you everybody, have a really wonderful week.
0: Thanks so much, Libby.
2: Thank you.